Yeah! What's up, Kairos? Uh, like Danny said, he said, uh, I came up to him and was just like, hey, I'm Carrie. Uh, I'm known for doing that. So if I come up to you and say, hey, I'm Carrie, be like, that's nice. My name's this. Okay, like make sure to introduce yourself uh, to me too, because I am really, really excited that you are in this room today. Um, I think of some of that energy. Any of you ever been to Riverside or worked at Riverside before? Okay, great place, north of here, Lutheran Bible Camp. Every time I come up uh, before I go on stage, this is what I imagine myself. I imagine myself as a fourth grader sitting in the middle row of the chapel, and we are about to blast our ears and our voices off of singing These Are the Days of Elijah. Anyone else? Okay, yeah, we're just, we're gonna get a little rowdy, okay? We're gonna get a little excited about what God's doing in the room, about what God's doing in our life. And that is what I am excited to be here with you today, uh, to share that, to get excited about what God is doing in your life. Because God is at work in your life. Did you know that? Did you believe that? And that is what Ash Wednesday lets us do. It lets us start to take notice of not only knowing that God is at work in our life, but believing it and seeing it. And that is what we're gonna do here, okay? So we are Ash Wednesday. Maybe you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service. You're like, I don't know what Ash Wednesday is. Um, It's this thing that marks a season of Lent. Lent is a 40-day period, um, and it leads us to the time of Easter. Because in the Bible, 40 days is a time of preparation. So we're starting today to prepare ourselves for an Easter celebration because there is no party like a Jesus party, amen? Amen, yeah, all right? But the story of Easter comes with a lot of stuff, okay? There's a lot of stuff going on in Easter. Um, It's like this big party. I'm gonna get there in just a minute. But first I want you to think about a celebration. I think we all are at seasons of our life uh, or might be getting there, at least at least I am, uh, where you're starting to have some weddings going on in your life. You're like, oh, I'm that age, you know, it starts to hit you. And you start to notice like, wow, weddings aren't just about the day of. You gotta go to the bridal showers and then not got to, you get to everyone, you get to. You got bridal showers, uh, you got bachelorette parties, you got bachelor parties, you got, you got all these things, you got dress fittings, there's just like all this stuff but it's just to make sure that the day is fully ready to walk into. And that is what we wanna do with Lent, is we wanna make sure that we are that ready to receive what Easter has for us. Because what Easter has for us is an invitation to some massive grace. And it also carries a lot of heartache and heartbreak that we wanna be ready to carry and be able to hold and it also has some absolute triumphant joy that we want to make sure we are absolutely ready to party on with okay so that's what I want to do today is I want to start us on this journey this preparation to receiving the most absolute triumphant joy we could ever receive in our entire life are you ready yeah I I don't know are we ready okay we're gonna have some fun okay So what we're doing, we're going on the inside though. Now you're like, well, Carrie, we're not gonna have any fun tonight. (laughs) We're going in, we're going on the inside. Cause that's what Ash Wednesday is about actually. Uh, It starts us on this inward reflection of our life. 
start to look at yourself and you start to go inward. And maybe some of you are like, I already do that every day uh, because I started in 2023 and I reflect on myself every day, every morning. You know, maybe that's you. And I'm really glad that that's you. It's so good. Can you find me after service and you can show me how to do that? Because I am really not good at it. And I think we all have something to learn about what it means to go on the inside and start to self-reflect. And so Ash Wednesday is about this inward reflection. And it reminds me of the prayer uh, book that Richard Foster wrote is his name. And he has this idea about prayer. Prayer is uh, the way that you start with it, learning it, applying it, is you first have to go on the inward. You have to get ready, really ready on the inside because the thing about it is what you go inward, you get transformed. You need to have this inward transformation and understanding of who I am. And then that prepares you to go upward because the glory of God is amazing. And you have to be ready to receive that. And it is then and only then that you then get to go in the outward experience to share that glory with someone else. But it starts on the inward part. It starts in the personal journey in the secret place that Jesus meets us. And so today in Ash Wednesday, we're gonna dwell right here in the inward side. And I want you to know that the, the coming message of today, the prayer over it was not, God, I pray that they would receive the word that you have for you today. No, my prayer was that, God, I pray that we would receive the word that you have for today. That the things that I wanna talk about today are things that I'm walking in myself, that I've walked through, that I'm working through. And, and I just wanna invite you into that and know that this is about doing things together because we are better together. And so today I wanna to take this look at going on into our inward self. And the word that came to mind as I was thinking about today and, and what is God and God, what do we have for you? And the word kindness just fills the room every time I thought about it. It's a thing that came off the pages. It's a thing that my head kept going back to. And I think it's a thing God was leading me to of the kindness of God. So that, my friend, is a little sneak peek at where we're gonna get by the end of this. If we are coming and walking to a really kind God. But before we get there, we have to go back to where we are right now, which is where I said we're gonna go on the inside and we're gonna look at ourselves. Because when I did that, I started to freak out and be like, oh, I don't wanna do that. I got icky stuff inside sometimes. Anyone else? Yeah? Mm -hmm. You, know, you start to find things that you're like, oh, I don't like that I thought that. I don't like the way that I think like that. I don't like the way that I do stuff like that. I don't wanna go on the inside. But I think it's something that we all have to journey through together because it's an important piece that we look at because voices do show up in our life that start to steal the joy of who we really are because when we start to see bad stuff, you know what relates to We say, oh, I am bad. Man, I got a lot of stuff that I don't like about myself. I do not like myself. And let me tell you, that is not the word that a kind God has for you. And so the way we're gonna start today as I invite you to start this inward journey of Lent of a 40 days, preparing ourselves, reflecting on ourselves, we have to start with who are we? And alongside that, we have to understand whose are we? And the best place to go is to back to where were we made in the creation story. So today we're gonna to start at the very beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis. Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning, God created. And I wanna preface that in the next couple of slides, we're gonna look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 because that's where uh, both creation stories can be found. 
Now, both of them have very similar truths, um, very similar things to be found, but there's a lot of differences in between them. Uh, and we could talk about that at a later time of different things that we see and we feel in them. Um, but today I want us to focus on the big picture, okay? Big picture of creation points us to several big ideas. And the two big ideas we wanna take away today is identity and the goodness of God. Those are two for sure found things you're gonna find in the creation story. And so we're gonna look at that today to figure out who we are and whose we are and root ourselves in that truth. So it starts in Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created some really big things. And also like Sarah's prayer though, she created some really small things because God created all things. He created everything you see above and he created everything we see below. He creates everything we touch, everything we see, everything we don't see. God created it all. And after he did all of that, what did he think about all that he created? He said it was good. He said it was Tov is the Hebrew word. Now, Tov can also uh, be known as it's absolutely functioning in the way I meant it to. Okay, so I'm not an engineer, but I feel like there's some engineers in the room, maybe. You're studying engineering, maybe. Um, but when you have this idea and you're creating something, right, and you're like, this is the design, this is how I think it needs to work, and whenever it gets to be put into light and it goes, and you're like, yes! Right? Or you're trying to put together that like Ikea piece of furniture and you're like, oh, you get finally all those pieces of the screws and you're like, yes, it is functioning exactly how the box said it would. I think that's a little bit how God sees us when he's putting this world together. Except he's not struggling, okay? He's not struggling with the Ikea box. He's saying for something to happen and it happens. And what he makes happen is good. Except there's one more thing that he's like, mm, okay, this is really good. One more thing, one more thing. I don't have anyone to create or take care of all this really good stuff. He's right, he's like, I'm good, I got this. I can make something to make this happen. And so we find in Genesis two, uh, Genesis one and two combined. So there were no people. And so what does God do? He makes human beings in his image to be like him. And that's a really important piece that we understand about who we are in God's eyes, that we are like him, that we have attributes, that we have characteristics, uh, that I come from my family, that I am like my family. I have attributes about them, but I am not my other family members. And so when God made us, we are not God, but we have attributes about him. We have beautiful, strong things about ourselves and I don't know the last time that you heard that you are beautiful and strong, but would you just take that word in today? That that's the way God made us. And so he made it and he's, he made it in his image. But how did God do this? And it invites us to an image to think about in Genesis 2, where it says, how did he do it? He formed the dust from the dust of the ground. Now to really take this in, we gotta go back just a few slides. You don't have to actually, but we're gonna think back two slides. What is dust? Dust comes from the earth. And what did God say the earth was? Good. From goodness, God formed the human. But it needed to continue to function well. And how is it gonna function well? It's gonna breathe. And what type of breath is it gonna breathe? It's gonna breathe my breath. It's like, yeah. 
going to breathe my breath. And he made humans from goodness, by goodness, you were made. And God, he took a step back at that one. And he was like, yeah, oh yeah, that is very good. God's creation of a human, you are human, God's creation of you made him step back in full delight and say, that is very good, which in the Hebrew language turns to tov miod, very good. And I started to think about that, and I was like, man, that's good stuff. And then I started thinking, like, that's good stuff here today because you know what? Those creation stories haven't changed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, that the way God has made humans literally has not changed. We meet deering up into the flood. Like, God is, like, at his wit's end with his creation. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to restart. And Noah comes, and he's like, no, you're not because we're still good. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you are. You're so good. I'm going to continue to make goodness from goodness. And so I was like, wow, where does that leave Adam and Eve? Where does that leave you when you are in just an utter goodness? Well, it leaves Adam and Eve in this place of no shame. They felt no shame. Man, I was reading that too. And then I started to almost get jealous, which I'm like, oh, that's, that's also not a good thing to have. But I was like, man, that sounds nice. No shame. Because you know what shame also means? It means can be trans, or like we talk about it as I'm bad. They never felt bad about themselves. Yeah, I got, I'm jealous. I'm like, man, that sounds nice. And then I kept reading, I was like, no, Gary, you got jealous too soon because now look what happens. There we go, and it says, but then something enters their world. It is not God's voice that this is. Something other than God's voice enters their life and says, did God really say that though? Have you ever felt like you have something other than God's voice around you, within you, above you? Have you ever just felt that? Like there are five voices going on and you're like, no, which one? God has one voice. And this one wasn't his. And these are the four most tempting words that came into creation. Did God really say, can you really trust God? Well, God said, I'm good. Yeah, but did he really mean that? I'm just gonna pause right here where I'm at and just point to the fact that this also is a verse that we come back to a lot of times to, uh, to be like, those darn Adam and Eve, if it just wasn't for them, we wouldn't have this problem. It's all Eve's fault, it's all Adam's fault. They would've just had better self-control. You know what we're doing? We're just falling into further that trap of the finger pointing. So I'm just gonna save everyone and be like, let's just stop doing that with this one uh, and just take it for what it is and continue to walk and see how God continues to work among that. When we question, when we doubt, can I really trust God? And the Bible is full of real life, everyone. 
Because in real life, no, we don't always trust God. No, we don't always really believe that God really said that. And when it happened to Adam and Eve, this is the place that then they went where they suddenly felt shame. The goodness that they felt was stolen from them. It was taken from them. What was light became dark. What was brave now become fear. They suddenly felt, I am bad. Some other words that you can put in for shame might be fear. They had no reason to fear. They had no reason to worry. They had no reason to be embarrassed. And specifically, they never had a reason to feel not enough, but now they did. And I was so shook when I was reading this. Remember, this is my reflections. Uh, you can go back one more. Thanks. Uh, I was so shook when I was looking over this. Literally the word, the idea of enough came at this point of the fall. That it is a fallen place to be where we don't feel enough. Because up until that point, they had all that they need. They were all that they needed to be. They were just them. And then they felt not enough. And then I really started to relate to that feeling. Have you ever related to this feeling? I'm not enough. I'm not enough for my grades. I'm not enough for my relationship. I'm not enough to get a good career. I'm not enough in this world. And so then I started to reflect on, okay, not enough, came into the world. What'd they do with it? You know what they did with it? They hid from God. That's what it does to us. Because what happens is God starts looking for them. The next, the question that he asks is, where are you? You know what they did? They ran in the corner and they're like, I don't I'm over here because I'm not enough to be in your presence. And then he's like, oh no, who told you? What, what happened? They're like, I don't know, I don't wanna talk about that because I'm not enough anymore. And we hide in the corner. And we run away from God. And, and we lose sight of him, we turn our backs, we hide in the corner. And I just want you to know that this is not the place that God has for you. And that's why we're gonna work through it today because we are headed to a very kind God who does not want you to hide in the corner, who does not want you to feel not enough. But unfortunately, it's a place where we find ourselves so often. In fact, psychologists and therapists did a survey um, and scan all across the nation. And their summary of it was this, that the great angst of the world is not being enough. And again, I'm gonna invite you into where my thoughts and stuff went as I looked over this. And I'm gonna tell you, I went to a place of, of madness, to a place of sadness, to a place of confusion. Because I was like, no, I just read about that in my Bible. That was thousands and thousands of years ago. And we're still stuck in that? It's not just two people anymore. It's an entire nation who is stuck under that? No. God, that really hurts. What are we going to do? And 
I think a place that we do is first we have to just start with acknowledging it. I want to just, and when we go on this inward journey, and if not enough comes up, I invite you to just acknowledge it because that's a step. Because then we get to talk about it. And we're going to breathe truth into that to run it out with, to run that darkness out from with light. But we're going to talk about it. Because that's not what God has for you. And you're like, yeah, well, Carrie, you just started off calling me dust. So um, that's a real good motivating start. Because what our voice tells us then is that I'm just dust. And I put this up here specifically uh, in that dark gray. Because yes, we might fill it in with I'm just dust dust. But I think a lot of times, and I want to give you space to take the minute of reflection as we're starting this inward reflection and think, what have I filled that line in with before? How many times have I filled that line in? I am just something. because I want you to remember the fullness that God has for you, that God created you complete and he was like, done, yup, done, resting, we're good, landed. But man, darkness comes and we're just like, I'm just dust. I'm just a mess. And as I was thinking on this and I was thinking of a time where I felt just a mess and couldn't get my life together and I just had a lot of negative thoughts going on in my head. And also this idea of like dust uh, brought me back to my uh, high school classroom art room in the next picture here. Those are not my hands, just so you know, uh, just an image <laughs> of where art class was, what we were doing in art that day. Um, and we were working with clay. Now I grew up art fanatic, okay? I was the girl who in my playroom had a whole shelf. In fact, I basically still do today at my parents' house. Um, I have markers and crayons and construction paper and glitter and glue and color. And it was just like, that was my life. So I was like, art class, easy, done. So I go to art class and we start playing with clay. I don't know what to do with clay. I don't know what to do with dirt. I don't know what I'm doing. We're supposed to make a coil pot. Has anyone ever made the coil pot in art class? Okay, not, I, I did. It wasn't great though, everyone. I was like, you know, you're supposed to like, in a coil pot, everyone, you like take dough, or not dough, you take clay, everybody. <laughs> See, this is how I think of it. It's just, it's just dough. And you're gonna roll it out. And then, no, you don't. You take like, I don't even know. You take like a clump of it and like roll it out so it's like a really long strip and then you coil it in a circle. And then you make another one and you stack it on top. And you make another one and you stack it on top. I'm like, why don't we just roll out a big piece of clay, stand it upright, wrap it around, and we're good to go. <laughs> My art teacher did not love that idea. And let me tell you, I tried doing that multiple times. She's like, I'm done. She's like, you didn't do it right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> so I was so frustrated because I was just like, I can't do this. And the art teacher is telling me I'm not good at art. And like, who tells, who are you to tell me I'm not good at art? I thought art was just me. And so I'm, now it's me. It's on me. I'm bad, <laughs> you know? I was just so frustrated that like this looked ugly and I couldn't do it and, and it was just a mess. It just wasn't good. And I started to think about that and the question that I had Danny ask you before we came up uh, was the question of what's good in your life? 
did anyone answer like me? Anyone be like, what's good in your life? Me, I'm rocking today. Like it's me, I'm the goodness in the room. Because if you did, then like the, you, you got this sermon down, we're good. But again, I want you to remember that I'm walking in this with you too, that I'm really working on what's to come. But I wanna invite you into that and do it together because the thing that I want us to look at today is this word called self-compassion. Self-compassion is the ability to turn your understanding and acceptance and love where? It's your ability to turn understanding, acceptance, and love where? Inward. Inward. And that, my friends, is our Lenten journey of figuring out how to take this abundance of understanding and acceptance of our God and the love of our God and giving it back to ourselves. Because just like Richard Foster reminds us, if we miss that step, we aren't even gonna be able to take in like the littlest glimpse of the glory of God because it's so big. And if we miss the bigness of God, we're gonna miss the outpour. So I want us to figure out and start to talk about this thing called self-compassion because it's this thing that's starting to have a radical movement on the not enoughness of our angst. And it's something I'm really, really struggling, like I myself am working on. I am not up here today to tell you that I have mastered it. I'm not up here today to say that I'm an even an intermediate level. I am a beginner level of figuring this out. But it's a really beautiful thing. It's a really important thing. Now, I want to start and talk about this because you might hear self-compassion and all of a sudden you're like, I can't do self-compassion. Uh-uh, I'm not into that. I don't want to be weak. I don't need to care for myself. I'm strong. I'm fine. I don't want to do that because what if it doesn't work? Now I'm just going to waste my time thinking about stuff that like, this isn't going to work. I don't want to do this because it's my responsibility to carry all of these things. And if I just let one ounce of kindness in, I'm just going to become a failure because I'm going to become too kind. Has anyone ever been too kind before? Yeah, no, not a thing. Let's just take that off the table. No such thing as too kind, okay? And in fact, what it shows is the people who are able to have self-compassion, able to turn acceptance and love inward, actually start to take on more responsibility for their actions. Why? How? What? Because they know on the other side of that is kindness. Because they can take on the wrongs of their life and take another step though and say, but I'm going to have grace in this moment and it's going to be okay. And it also shows that you're more likely to be the one to say, I'm sorry first, because again, you receive it. You said, man, I've done wrong, but man, I understand I can't do it all. I'm gonna work on that. I'm really gonna work on it. But would you have some grace with me? Because I'm gonna have grace with myself. And you're like, Carrie, again, you're talking about this self-compassion. You know what you're telling me really that I just need to have? I just need to have more self-pity in my life. No, I am not inviting you to a pity party. 
Because you know what happens at pity parties? They're lonely because you start to just go inward and it starts to be, it's all about me and I'm the only one who has problems. No, in self-compassion, you realize we all have some problems in our life. And so no longer am I alone. I'm together in this and we're gonna figure it out. And you're like, no, Carrie, self-compassion, you're just telling me I should just get to self-indulge. I should do whatever I want, whenever I want. No, I'm not. Self-indulgence is when you start to have just an instant pleasure in your life, instant gratification. Self-compassion doesn't come instantly, everyone. Self-compassion invites us to think about things and do things that are really hard, but they're really good. And then maybe you're like, no, Carrie, self-compassion, what you're really just telling me is that I just need to have some bigger self-esteem about myself. I just go puff myself up. No. I mean, I like some pump-up music myself. I mean, that's what I do before. You know, you pump yourself up. But no, self-esteem, you know what's the problem with that? When the music fades, so do you. Have you realized that? If you get the right music, you're going to start to pump up. But then if you went out on like that basketball court and you played the game and you, and you lost and you didn't want to lose, all of a sudden you're sitting uh, in the locker room and you're sad because you lost and now my self-esteem is at zero. No, self-esteem doesn't give us assurance. Self-esteem uh, self doesn't give us steadiness. Self-compassion kindness towards yourself, the ability to say, I have some stuff, I have some hard things, but I'm going to be graceful about it, but I'm going to give myself room to grow. That, my friends, is the firm foundation that God invites us to. And sometimes though, compassion can be really hard to try to understand or to receive. Like, how do, I, how do I even have it for myself? Like, start to look around you. Look around you for the way others maybe treat you. And if they just say one nice thing, be like, right, I am. Thank you. And a time when I think about this, uh, it takes me back uh, to a time with my grandma. Uh, she, with this pot, okay? Remember, it's just a pot. I kind of gave it away, but it's fine. Uh, I was so mad about it. I was like, this is so, like, this is mess. It's gross. And so I told my grandma, I was like, I'm just, when I'm done with this, I'm gonna throw it on the ground. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm so tired of this. I just wanna be done. I'm gonna get rid of it. So I took it to her house. And I was like, here it is, grandma. Notice how it's not smashed on the sidewalk. I was like, here it is. I'm going outside. She like grabs my arm, takes it out of my hand. She's like, no, I'm keeping it. I was like, no, that's mine. It's ugly. She's like, no, I like it. I think it's beautiful and I'm keeping it. And I think sometimes that's the voice we need to have in our life too, that when we just wanna be done and I'm just so broken and I'm just so tired of this and it's just a mess and you need someone to come alongside you and grab you and say, no, I think you're beautiful. I think you're tov miod. I think you are from goodness, by goodness, for goodness. That is who you are. Because the thing about this is that I show up to my grandma's house the next day and you know where it's at? It's in her bedroom, it's decoration. But it's not just sitting like that, you know. You know what she did? She put flowers in it, my friends. 
flowers. Because you know what she did? She found purpose in it. She found functionality in it. She found the goodness. Because of a perspective and a kindness bigger than I was able to give myself. And I want you to know that that's what the Father has for you, a perspective that is bigger than we can ever give ourselves. And that is what he has for you. I was reading the PhD article uh, that they wrote about what is compassion. And this is what they said. Compassion is wise and sees through the illusion that we have to take, that we have total control over our actions. Compassion acknowledges that we are limited and perfect beings who are impacted by things over which we have no control. Compassion is intrinsically concerned with the alleviation of suffering of our own and that of others. You know what I did with this? I was like, you just put Jesus. And Jesus is compassion. Jesus is the exact compassion that scientists, that researchers find in their everyday study. Jesus is compassion. Because Jesus is wise and he sees through the illusion that we have total control of our actions. And Jesus, he acknowledges that we're limited. And Jesus is intrinsically concerned with the alleviation of suffering, our own and that of others. Psalms puts it really well where it says, you, O Lord, are a God of compassion. You are a God who sees that I can't do everything. You are a God who acknowledges I'm limited, yet you are the God who says that I don't want you to suffer anymore. And over and over and over in scripture, when God is compassionate, you know what it moves him to do? It moves him to take a step forward towards that person. And when he takes that step forward, you know what he does too? He puts his hand out. And you know what he does when his hand is out towards them? He touches them in their suffering, in their hurt, in their mess, God touches them. Because compassion is a feeling that moves you to your core. And where does it move you? It moves Jesus to act with the word called mercy. Now, mercy is a word that I've been struggling with. I've been like, I don't know, what is mercy? Like mercy is a four-letter word, big word though. I don't know what that means. In fact, Ash Wednesday is a line where Kyrie lays on. You maybe heard it growing up. Lord, have mercy. You've sung it, you've said it all the time. Lord, have mercy. I don't know what that means. I didn't either. I was like, I'm just saying it. So what's it mean? I did some deep diving. And the best place that I can bring you today is what is mercy? Mercy is a place where you move compassionately. You move caringly for the distressed, even though you have an authoritative power to put judgment over them. Jesus created us. He has a lot of power. He has authority, but you know what Jesus does with that? He gets low. He gets low. He he touches you and he cares for you with compassion. Right where you are. And so what I want to remind you today, what Jesus frees you into, wherever you are at today, this is what you can do today. You can love you because he loved you first. And it comes from John where he talks about you can love each other because he loved you first. Yeah, but you know what you can do with that? You can also love you. You should love you because you are God's good creation. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Will you receive that? So I want you to do, to to receive a little bit of this, to start taking a step of self-compassion. We're gonna go into a little time of reflection 
And I invite you to get comfortable. You can move your hands up. You can keep your eyes open. You can close. We're going to listen to a video that is scripture inspired from a perspective, though, of God speaking over you. And if you watch the video, you, uh, it's very soothing. It's very nice. If you close your eyes, I promise you, you won't miss anything. If you would just receive the words that God has for you and soak in the kindness of God. Beloved, it is your privilege to live on earth as though you were in heaven. That is the ransom price that I paid in my beloved son. That is what he modeled and demonstrated among the people. What was from the beginning in my heart with the beloved is what you now may see, enjoy, and receive in full. A newness of life will be manifested in your midst. Not the old way of human struggle with the divine, but a new and living way that exemplifies your place as the beloved in the beloved. Your very life is meant to be a testimony of the relationship between the Father and the Son, who is the Beloved. And your inclusion in the Beloved gives you status as the Beloved in heaven. And that elevated status empowers you in grace to come boldly before my throne, knowing that in Him, you are as welcome as He is before heaven. I just pray that whatever Jesus showed you and spoke to you in that would just be sealed in the name of Jesus of goodness to receive that, to know that that was true and that you would receive this, that you are as welcome as Jesus as you are because of God's compassionate mercy. Right where you are, Jesus steps out, he reaches out and he touches you in your not enoughness, in your hurt, in your pain, in your tire, Jesus touches you. He doesn't just touch you. He embraces you. This is the goodness and the kindness of God. And as we continue to take an inward step and we reflect on ourselves, I want to invite you into this time of confession, of confessing that, Jesus, I need more of you. And it comes from the psalm. If you feel uh, comfortable to do so, I invite you to join me in just repeating these four lines. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. You know what that says? God, because you're so good, will you do my dirty laundry? <laughs> Blot out the stain, Jesus. 
And you know what Jesus does? We just talked about his mercy, his compassion. You know what it is? He's like, bring it all home. Anyone have a parent, the, the, the lucky one with the mom, I did, hi mom, uh, who said, bring your laundry home, I'll do it, I'd love to do it. This, my friends, is Jesus saying, come home and bring it all with you. Don't leave any behind. I know like you're coming home for the weekend. Don't leave it behind so you can do it when you back Sunday night. No, bring it all home. Because it's all of you and I love all of you. And you know what he does with it? Jesus is really good at dirty laundry, everybody. This is the place, this is what he's gonna do with it. He says, I'm gonna make it as white as snow. Though your sins, though your stuff, your hardness, the hurt in your life, I know it's a lot. You wanna hide, don't hide. Run home, my child. Run home and receive the goodness that I have for you because I'm gonna make it better than new before. Oh, it's just so good. Come home. Hebrews uh, 4.16. I lost it. Here it is. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, it talks about uh, coming to the throne. To come boldly, it says, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because that's where we will receive his mercy because that's where we will receive his grace. He says, come home. All that you are, all that you am, because you're good, because you're mine, because I love you. And he says this, why, how, how Jesus, how do you accept me into your arms? How do you embrace me with all my stuff? I wanna be in the corner, I wanna hide. He says, no, I can because my grace is sufficient. You know what sufficient means? Enough. Because I am enough. Because I put the world back into order. Because I know that it falls out and we fall in this place of I'm not enough. And he says, you know what? I redeemed that. I fill that up. So yeah, Jesus, I fell though because I said something nice. He's like, I know, I'm so sorry and we're gonna work on that, but I still love you. We're gonna fill that up. Yeah, but I have these actions I don't really like and I don't really want that. And I just, he's like, yeah, I know we're gonna work on that, but I want you here because we're gonna fill that up because we're gonna fill it up together with my grace, with my goodness and with my kindness. And my friends, I invite you today to come boldly to his throne. To the place where we're gonna receive communion, where he broke his body out of great mercy and compassion. And then you're gonna get a place to receive ashes. And maybe you've never received ashes before. The thing about ashes is we put them on and we say, remember you are dust. And we put it in the sign of a cross and remember, remember you are dust and the dust you shall return. Remember you have stuff. And we put it in a cross to say, but remember who holds your stuff. And we put it on and you remember that, remember you are good dust and to goodness you will return my friends you are so loved by a so good and loving God I pray that you would receive that today as you come boldly before his throne to the table where in the nine inches we trade he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it he broke it for you 
and He broke it for you. And He broke it for you. But He gave it to them to take and eat and consume and be filled by, to remember Him and His great mercy. And then again, after supper, He picked up the cup and He blessed it and He gave thanks and He gave it to all to drink because that cup is the new covenant of my blood that was shed to forgive you, to forgive you, and the forgiveness of all sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Forever and ever, amen, is the goodness of our God. I invite any volunteers to come on forward. Um, and the ushers, they will come to the middle rows. They'll dismiss you up front. Um, you will receive a wafer to dip into your grape juice. If you're gluten-free, that station is in the back. After you receive the goodness and get filled up on his love of communion, you'll, you'll have the option. You can get ashes to remember you are good. And to goodness, you shall return. Amen.